you are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Romans 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Amen. Amen and welcome. My name is Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new and first of all, how about that VBS video? Man, well, how great was that this week? So yeah, thank you to Pastor Kivon and to... Alyssa and all of you who may have been team members or volunteers, it was amazing. That was some home cooking right there. By the way, we made that and developed that. It's, it's a pretty cool thing. So uh, it's, it's uh, just to, not to brag on me, but to brag on us. That's an amazing job our team did. Uh, first, a little bit of housekeeping before we get uh, into our time in God's Word. Starting tomorrow... And continuing for the next few weeks, Carrie and I and our family are going to be on uh, an extended break. Now, in some places, uh, you know, we may call that a sabbatical, but I'm not going to call it that because, again, in some places, that's a funny word for something's gone wrong with the pastor, but we're not talking about it. So I'm not going to call it that because it's not that, but uh, every five years, uh, our our leadership mandates that I I take at least four weeks off consecutively, and so we're going to do that, and that's this year, and I'm excited about it, not just for uh, our family family, but for us, for our spiritual family, because over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing from some of, 
though not all of, but some of the finest voices in our church. And I'm excited about that. You're going to be hearing from several of our pastors and our deacons and uh, one voice that's outside our church. That's my friend Donnell Jones from Washington, D.C. He'll be here in two weeks. And I've been working with this group to continue in our series in the book of Romans, which will extend through the month and the end of July. We'll finish up in chapter 8 there. And I believe God's going to expand us and deepen us and encourage us through those people and those voices. So let me encourage you when you're here every week to, to, to cheer for them and to root for them and to dig in with them, to, to bring the preach out of the preacher, as it's been said. Uh, and while it's okay to be a little sad that I'm not here, just a little, I think you'd be excited. I hope you are excited to hear from them and dig in with them. So uh, is that fair enough? Yeah, great. So you can be praying for our family. Uh, We are doing great, but we're in this thing for the long haul, and rest is important. Something in the Bible somewhere about that, I've been told. So anyway, here we go. You ready? Sermon. Last week, Carrie and I were out ministering in, in a friend's church in Augusta, Georgia. And uh, in Augusta, you may know, is the home of the, the Masters Golf Tournament. It's the, the, the hometown of V. James Brown. V. James Brown, the one who taught us how to get on the good foot, as they say. And, of course, we were happy to go. We're far more happy to come back, except... We couldn't come back. We couldn't get back to where we once belonged, as the Beatles sang. For lots of reasons, we couldn't get back because there was some rain there in Augusta. And because Augusta is a smaller airport, it sort of exists uh, on the bottom of the airline food chain. And so fewer flights go in and out. And we couldn't get back because there was a mechanical issue with the plane. And because people from that airline were on strike... They had to bring in other people to fix it. We couldn't get back because once we got on board, we sat for another long period of time. We couldn't get back because uh, once we finally took off and we finally got in the air, it was too late for us to make our connection in Dallas. Some of you had that feeling. But we thought we had caught a break when they came on the air and they said, actually, there's some rain also in Dallas, so it looks like you're going to be able to make your connection with about 20 minutes to spare. So we we landed on the ground, we got off the flight, we sprinted through the airport and like like track stars, or I should say Carrie sprinted like a track star. I sort of shuffled along behind her. She's a track star. Uh, And so we caught a shuttle to the other terminal only to discover... They had changed the gate on us. A classic move. But we were not going to be denied. And we ran around like the proverbial beheaded chickens until we found the correct new gate, only to find then that our flight, along with many others, had been canceled. Yeah, canceled. No explanation, no reason given. The sort of mostly unfriendly, unhelpful person at the gate said, if we wanted help, we could go to the customer service line to our right, and we look to our right, and like some slow motion scene from a horror movie, we look down the corridor at DFW to see, literally, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of people in line for help. And so we realize at this point, we are not, unless the plan changes, we're not going to come home, we're not going to get back that night. And so we, we, we hopped a shuttle to the rental car place, we left our bags on who knows what airline, an airport, and whatever place, and along with half of humanity, who also sensed the need to get home through a, a rental car, we waited in line for about an hour to get the car. And while we were waiting in line, the airline actually <laughs> kindly texted us to let us know they had rebooked us on a flight, they would come back in two days. (laughs) So we rented a car and we drove back in the middle of the night to Austin uh, to drop off our rental car at the airport and to pick up our car 
in spot 054, only to, we thought we had discovered that our car had been stolen. We were wrong, but that's because we discovered at the Austin airport, they've got this new garage with minimal signage. There are like literally more than a dozen spots marked 054. So after wandering around sweating, like almost crying in the airport at 1.30, when we finally found our car and got in, I looked over at Carrie and I said, let's go home. Go home. At the moment, in that moment, all we wanted was to go home. All that had happened didn't matter. The breakdown of the world around us, all that, the airline industry, it didn't matter. All we wanted was to go home. Have you ever felt like that? Felt like that, yeah. But have you ever felt like, thought, I just want to go home. Now that, that feeling, that desire, here's the word, that longing is something so deep in the heart of human beings. Why is that? Why is it that humans throughout our existence over and over again, we just want to go home. We want a kind of homecoming, a kind of homecoming. High schools have one every year, right? Every, every year there's a TV show, with that name right now, Homecoming, and of course, the title of Beyonce's latest album, same word, Homecoming. We all want to go home. Jesus Christ describes humanity as being like people who are trying to get back into the home and the heart of God. His most famous parable was about what? About a, a son, a lost son who has gone and stepped away from his father's home to a far off country. And while he was there, he discovered that no, no money, no pleasure, no lifestyle was worth living outside his father's home and his father's heart. And then in the shocking finale to the parable, we see the older brother is left outside home, his father's home, because he desired another kind of home besides what his father had offered. Jesus is showing us we're like people looking for a home, longing for a home, trying to get home, not just to a place, but back in to the heart of God. So how do we do that? How do we get back home to the heart of God? And if we can find it, what would it do to us? How would it change us? Now, someone named Paul, he's a writer of what you heard read in Romans chapter four, first century church planner, writer. He's gonna show us this and more here in chapter four, this letter he wrote to the early Christian community, first century in Rome. And he's gonna do that, show us that by calling two witnesses from Israel's past to show us how those two people came home into the heart of God, how that changed them, and how, if we can find it, how that might do the same for us. So today we're going to see these three things. We're going to move through these. Number one, we're going to see what the nomad discovered. Number two, what the king found out. And finally, in the end, how all of it, what they found, can be ours. Let's go number one and see what the nomad discovered. I'm going to have to set this one up briefly. So Paul here, you may know that these first three chapters in Romans, we've been going through them. He's been showing us the lostness of the human race, all the ways people go to a far off country away from the heart of God. But just before chapter three closes, he turns and he surprises us with this moment of of blazing hope. Pastor Shad looked at it a bit last week. End of chapter three, Paul says, Oh, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, because the gospel 
is for everyone, right? There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So Paul's argument says he's saying the only way to come out of your lostness, out of that far off country you're in, the only way to really to know God is through a gift of sheer grace. And he's saying that's what the whole Old Testament was always talking about anyway. He's saying you can't possibly know God by obeying the moral law enough or by honoring your ancestors enough, or as we put it today, by being a good enough, nice enough person now this would have been of course mind-blowing to like half the room reading this hearing this in rome this jewish people hearing this paul they would have asked are you saying are you saying the only way to know god to come home into the heart of god is apart from a law it's only by sheer grace and so to answer that question paul does something radical here unexpected he calls a witness from israel's past a person who himself was a nomad a wanderer a person who lived in a tent with no home and in romans chapter 4 verse 1 paul calls a man named abraham to the stand in defense of the gospel of grace and he asked the question paul asked what then shall we say that abraham our forefather according to the flesh discovered in this matter about the gospel of grace. So who's Abraham? If you don't know, he was considered, along with someone named Moses, to be the founder of the nation of Israel. Uh, He was the example to follow for the Jewish people. All the Jewish people were literally his descendants. Paul says he's our forefather, according to the flesh. Because he was the example of how to walk with God, Jewish people admired him. So Paul calls him to the stand. And what Paul is doing with Abraham is this. He's saying, remember Abraham? Come on, y'all. I know you know him. Remember when God made him a promise that he would have a miracle son in his old age. Remember when God made him a promise he would be the father of many nations. Bless all peoples. Remember that? How did all of those radical, massive promises come to pass? Verse 2. If, in fact, it happened because he, through his works, if he's justified by works, something he did. He had something to boast about, oh, but not before God. So how did Abraham walk with God? Was it by, again, keeping the moral law, obeying the Ten Commandments? Well, that couldn't happen. The commandments wouldn't come in for another four centuries plus. Was it by following the eightfold noble path? Hmm? Keeping the five pillars or just trying to be really good? What will Abraham say on the witness stand? How did he come home in his day to the heart of God? Verse 3, Paul writes, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Here's the big idea. Abraham came home by receiving a righteousness. Now, because you're all looking at me in stunned silence, no amens, or I mean, that sounds pretty good, or anything like that. Not even any boos or hisses, all right. Now, when we hear that word, we tend to get hung up on it, but we don't get it because we import our own cultural lens, our own moment onto that word. We think, man, why should I care about God giving Abraham a righteousness? Morgan, my friends don't care about a righteousness. I can't remember the last time a rapper rapped about righteousness. A singer sang about righteousness. Morgan, I didn't go see Avengers, you know, in the game righteousness. It was just in game. There's nothing about righteousness. But if you're thinking that, let me tell you, on one hand, it's understandable. On the other hand, you're wrong. Wrong. Let me suggest to you that every single day you are looking for a kind of righteousness. 
Your neighbor is looking for a kind of righteousness. As a matter of fact, every single song you'll ever hear, every TV show or movie you see or play you go to, is all about this, trying to receive a kind of righteousness. And here's why. Because this word in the Greek, what Paul is using is the word dikaiosene, which means literally the verdict of approval. The verdict of approval. This is, Paul is this is like the divine equivalent of a, an inspector stamp in a factory. It's like, a, like the, a heavenly better business bureau, bureau approval on your website. It's like a sign up in a, in a, in a restaurant in the sky. Saying inspected and clean. See, so when Paul pulls up Genesis 15, 6 here, and he says the greatest thing that God could ever give Abraham and you is his verdict of approval, and then Paul shows you how to get it, that ought to get your attention right there. Abraham shows us there's really only ever been one way to come home into the heart of God, and that is by sheer grace alone, which means every other way you have or a person has of relating to God, including every other religion or faith system, is by works. And sometimes even how we relate to God, even inside the church, can sometimes be by works and not by grace. There's a danger there. Let me show you how that might look. Two weeks ago on CNN.com, you may have seen this article, but there was a journalist who interviewed a comedian. His name was Pete Holmes, and Pete Holmes has got his HBO series called Crashing. Maybe you've seen it. He's written a book. He he now tours the country doing these big stand-up comedy shows, and the article is all about Pete Holmes' journey away from God, and watch how this article begins. Here's how it starts. He said, quote, growing up as an evangelical, Pete Holmes thought he was doing everything right. He believed in the Bible, all of it, and said he didn't smoke, drink, or have sex before marriage. He went on mission trips to Africa, played bass on the worship team. He even wore pleated khakis. (laughs) Apparently that's the Christian uniform of the 80s. Anyway, then one day as Holmes was struggling to kickstart his comedy career, his wife left him for another man, and his world and his belief in God exploded what he said. He said, I felt like the Lord hadn't held up his end of the bargain. Holmes writes in his new memoir called Comedy, Sex, God. And I was ticked. So Holmes went on from there to talk about his journey away from Jesus towards his own spirituality, his own far off country of drugs and lots of sex and his own spirituality. And listen, with all due respect to Pete Holmes, he's a very smart, very talented person. At a fundamental level, what I'm wanting you to hear is what he's describing there. That is the default setting of the human heart and how we approach God. We think God's approval or a blessing in my life ought to work on the basis of merit. What I've done. How I feel. Salvation, he's saying, ought to begin with me. Now, the reason I hold this up, of course, is not to shame Pete Holmes. Listen, if I were in his shoes, I'd gone through what he's gone through. It's possible, maybe likely, I would have reacted how he'd reacted. Thankfully, I don't know. Hope I never do. I never know how it feels to have my wife walk out on me. And yet, his reason for walking away here is as simple as what he's repeatedly said in print, that he felt he had worked hard enough. But somehow... God didn't come through like he wanted. And that was reason to walk away. Now push Pete to the side for a second. We can all do this. We all seek a righteousness, an approval for something that we do. A verdict. Uh, if uh, We want to know, does that girl like us? Does that guy like us? We want their approval. Uh, we want approval maybe from God for what our intentions are. If we're a good person for supporting the right cause. Right. In a way. Until we receive this righteousness, 
were all still in a far off country away from home. But listen, Abraham found a home in the heart of God, though he lived in a tent in the desert. He just believed God. And when God made him a promise, Abraham believed it. It was credit gifted to him as righteousness. Hear me, that's the basis for our homecoming. Did you know, today you can leave whatever far-off country you might be in. Whether it's the far-off country of another faith. The far-off country of caring what your peers think about you. Your co-workers think about you. What your parents think about you. You can come home today to the heart of God. It begins when, like Abraham, you just receive a righteousness. The approval of God through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior. That's number one. So how does now, how does receiving this righteousness change us? How, what does our homecoming do to us? That's now number two. That's what the king found out. That's what the king found out. Now, here we go. To answer the question, how does this homecoming change us? Paul calls witness number two to the stand. The first witness was Israel's great father. This second witness was Israel's greatest king, someone named David. And Paul opens David's testimony like this. In verse six, he says, David says the same thing when he speaks. All right, why does Paul now call up the king? Well, David, this guy, while he was famous for being Israel's greatest king, if you don't know who he was, David was also famous or infamous for his moral failures. He committed adultery with another woman named Bathsheba. Not good. When he found out Bathsheba was pregnant by him and not her husband, he had her husband murdered. Not good. And so, now you should know David's life was never the same after this. After this, his life went nuts. His family was a mess. His sons never respected him ever again. But through it all, David still found something incredible. Not just righteousness, but something else. Another word Paul shows us right here, right in the middle of David's mess. Verse 6. David says the same thing when he speaks of, here's the new word, the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Paul's saying there's a blessedness that comes from receiving righteousness. What does that look like? Well, Paul quotes from Psalm 32, written by King David at his low moment. David wrote, blessed, Makarios, happy are those whose transgressions are forgiven, like murder, like adultery, like lying. Blessed is the one whose sins are covered and whose sin will never be counted against them. Blessedness, therefore, is the internal experience of the one who has encountered the love and the grace of God. In spite of their goodness, or in David's case, in spite of their badness. In other words, blessedness describes what it feels like when we have come home. Blessedness describes what it feels like when we have come home. Listen, when Carrie and I, when we finally walked through our door at 2 a.m. on that trip and we dropped whatever we had to drop because it wasn't our luggage that wouldn't arrive for like two plus more days. But when we walked in the door after what felt like an eternity of lostness, do you know how we felt? Blessed. We felt blessed. There was a feeling that coming home, even though we just like parked the car in the garage, stepped across the threshold, but when we crossed that line... We felt different. And Paul's saying it's the same thing on the inside of you. 
if you really encounter the love of God. And therefore, it ought to produce something new, something different on the inside. And let me show you what those things are. Let me ask this question. What then does this blessedness produce in us? What, here are three marks of a life of blessedness. The three marks of what it means to be a Christian who's encountered the love of God. Let me go through these. Number one, it means no more boasting, first of all. No more boasting. Hey, let me tell you, if you're a Christian today and you derive your fundamental identity from how well you perform, that's like a dude in the seats this last week, NBA Finals, in Toronto, feeling better about who he is because a basketball team down on the floor won an NBA championship. Listen, Johnny Superfan, <coughs> Drake, <coughs> didn't win anything. Kawhi Leonard and some other actual players won something. Not that guy. Jesus has won something. Not us. Do you know why a person, some person brags or boasts when you meet them, they got to tell you all about their victories they did 20 years ago? It's because that person is lost. They're not home in the heart of God. There's no more boasting. Number two, there's no more hiding, hiding our past that is. We're free to come clean, to be honest, because God's covered our sins. Hear me when I tell you, if you're a Christian, you are not now what you once were. Isn't that good? You are not now what you once were. Therefore, there's no more hiding. And number three, last mark of a life of blessedness, at least for the time we've got today, it means we get a better identity, a better identity. Let me tell you, your skin color can't save you. Your talent can't save you. Your strength and appearance can't save you, but Jesus can. The blessedness of the gospel means we have an identity that suffering can't touch and death cannot destroy. Man, by the name of Dr. Luke Powery, he's a biracial preaching professor at Princeton. Say that five times real fast. In his book, he wrote a book called Dim Dry Bones. It's all about the connection between suffering uh, and worship and the context of Negro spirituals. And he tells the story about the death of his 10-year-old niece named Christiana. She died from a rare skin disease. And he said at her graveside, when the casket was lowered, it was dead silent. The air was filled with grief. It seemed like death was going to have the last word and define them and their family. But he said, then something happened. Luke Powery said that his brother named Dwight, the father of the girl, he said he got up to go look over into the open grave one last time. And he says that his brother looked over the grave and stared death in the face. He said his brother Dwight dropped to his knees at the graveside and he began to sing Christiana's favorite worship song. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you are God. And Luke Powery asked the question, what could make a father who had just lost his youngest child in death, what could make him sing a song of worship like that? What could do that? And the answer to Luke Powery's question is what we're going to look at, finally find right now, number three, how all of this can become ours. Luke Powery says, you can have this better identity because of the one word we find in Romans 4.18. It's the word 
hope. Look at verse 18. He says, against all hope, Abraham and hope believed. And so he became the father of many nations. So we got to ask, why did, how could Abraham have hope like Dwight Powery had hope? Here's why. It's because when God gave Abraham that promise, that promise wasn't just about having a physical son. It was all about what having that son meant to Abraham as a father in that culture, in that time. In that day, having a son was a kind of salvation both present and future, to have a son meant to be saved culturally and emotionally because without a son as a man in that day, you were shamed by your culture. Without a son as a man, you would be destitute one day. Without a son as a man, nothing you did had ultimate meaning. You couldn't pass along your legacy to anyone who was all destined to die with you. And so when God comes and he makes his promise to Abraham, he is saying, this is what would have rang in Abraham's ears is this. He would have heard God say, Abraham, I am the only one who can save you in the way you really want to be saved. I'm the only one with the power to change your world how you see yourself, how you feel about yourself. I am the only one who can really bring you home, Abraham. And Abraham hears this and he simply says, yes, God. He believed God. Let me ask you, what do you need to be saved from today? What far off country are you living in right now? I want you to know, again, you don't have to stay there. Henri Nguyen, you may know the name, he was a Roman Catholic professor at Harvard University. He left his position to go live among the, the handicapped community in Toronto, Canada as a priest for the rest of his life. And he reflected on modern society, all of our lostness. And he wrote a book about it. It's a good book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And he wrote this, quote, Addiction might be the best word to explain the lostness that so deeply permeates contemporary society. Our addictions make us cling to what the world proclaims as the keys to self-fulfillment, accumulation of wealth and power, attainment of status and admiration, lavish consumption of food and drink, sexual gratification, without distinguishing between lust and love. These addictions create expectations that cannot but fail to satisfy our deepest needs. As long as we live within the world's delusions, our addictions condemn us to futile quests in the distant country, leaving us to face an endless series of disappointments while our sense of self remains unfulfilled. In these days of increasing addictions, we have wandered far away from Father's home. The addicted life can be designated a life lived in a distant country. It is from there that our cry for deliverance rises up. Let me ask you, what, what cry might you be raising up today? Abraham, oh, he raised a cry to be delivered from his external cultural pressure. David raised up a cry to be delivered from his internal despair. And they were both delivered. How? Oh, by saying fundamentally, God, I cannot save myself. I cannot find what I'm looking for apart from your heart. Hear me, both of them in their own way returned from a far off distant country. Abraham returned from the land of peer approval and trusted God to save him. David returned from the land of internal despair and trusted God to forgive him both the nomad in the desert the king in his palace and a father at his graveside discover what Paul points us to here that through faith in Jesus Christ we can become and remain the beloved child of God at home in our father's heart and house for forever what land what far off country might you need to come home from today Nguyen concludes like this, quote, Why do I keep ignoring the place of true love and persist in looking for it elsewhere? Why do I keep leaving home where I am called a child of God 
the beloved of the Father. I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. But the Father is always looking for me with outstretched arms to receive me back and whisper in my ear, you are the beloved. On you, my favor rests. And friend, if you have received this today, if you've received this righteousness and experienced this blessedness, you can become like Abraham, a person of unstoppable hope. Do you know, in the end, home, home is where the heart is. Home is where the heart is. The old hymn puts it like this. He said, oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. God's the home we're all looking for. I hope you'll come home today. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.